You're listening to Schooled with Carla Hulse. Join Carla as she explores K-12 education disruption and has deep dive conversations with ed leaders, ed tech, ed foundations, ed professional service organizations, and ed educators who school her on ed innovations and their impact on educational policy across the country. Here's Carla. Welcome to Schooled. I'm your host, Carla Hulse, and joining me today is Pierre Pinnock. So we're going to talk about school choice. And this is going to be part two of this topic. Um, As you guys know, we spoke to um, a colleague of mine in our last episode talking about school choice from the charter perspective. But today, we're going to specifically hone in on this concept of homeschooling. So again, my, my, my guest is Pierre. And let me tell you a little bit about this phenomenal woman. She is currently the head curator of K-12 education programs at the Smithsonian's National Museum of African Art, which is based in DC. But before Pierre landed at the Smithsonian, she has over 20 years experience as, I think she was the literacy consultant and the program director at Fairfax County in Virginia. She was also the literacy specialist for Fairfax County Public Libraries. And Really, the the reason she's here today, because all of those other things are phenomenal, but I think in 2002, Pierre, and you correct me in a little bit, um, sure. she founded and was the director of Culture at Home, which is an African-American homeschool support group. It's based in the metro D.C. area. And when she um, started Culture at Home, we'll get into this in a little bit more, Um, It really was a response to something that was missing from traditional public education. And so, Pierre, to be completely transparent with our audience, and I say this really with every guest, we have known each other for 35 years, if not more, right? Yes. (laughs) And unfortunately, when we met, we weren't meeting as preschoolers. (laughs) No. Mm -mm. We Mm -hmm. met um, as we were kind of going from undergrad to grad, figuring out what we're going to do out there in the big world. So um, when I met Pierre, she was this feisty Bostonian who had a Boston accent. And um, Pierre, let me just tell the audience, Pierre has has the memory of an elephant. (laughs) I can remember everything. I don't remember a lot about when and how we met. I mean, I know we met and we actually interned together, but I don't remember the specifics of how we met and that connection. Do you remember any of that, Pierre? Most definitely. Carla, thank you so much for having me as a guest today. I'm very excited. Uh, Carla, you know, we met January, 1988. Oh my God. And it was through the Washington semester program at the American University. At that time, we were uh, situated on the Tenley campus on Nebraska (laughs) Avenue, Nebraska and Tenley Avenue, right? And I remember specifically seeing you in the program. There weren't many people of color in the program at that time. I think I counted four for that semester. (laughs) So I really was just interested in reaching out to other students who may have the same interests or maybe even varied interests. But for some reason, um, I saw you and I said, that looks like somebody who would be interesting, someone who I'd like to get to know. So I remember, uh, you know, seeing you, I forget where it was, but 
I ended up getting your information from Quentin Lawson, who at the time was the director of the National oh, Forum for Public Quentin. Administrators. Yeah. He gave me your name and all your information up. And so <laughs> wow. I remember finding you, going to your dorm room and making an introduction saying, you know, my name is Pierce Smith and I am also enrolled in the Washington semester program. I'm in another dorm. Um, and I'm interested in finding out if you're going to take that internship with NFBPA. And you were telling me you hadn't decided what internship that, you know, you were going to take. And I said, well, you're going to probably take this one and I'll tell you why, because we're going to have a fun time. We're going to travel. We're going to meet some interesting people and we're going to be involved in putting together a yearly conference. And it's going to be really innovative for us, I think. And we'll just have fun. I also said to you the benefits of uh, being a part of this Washington semester program well, that is that that we will have an opportunity to network off the campus of American University. We'll have the opportunity to uh, network at schools like Howard University and University of Maryland. And uh, visiting and networking other areas, schools like those schools, will have an opportunity to meet other people. Yeah, and by, so, network, I, and by network, you really meant going to parties, because that's really what we did. <laughs> Okay, you're keeping it real. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that was part of the social is because at that time, really, that was the the social existence for <laughs> university students were the parties and clubs. But we also had opportunities to go to other types of functions as well. So, I but mostly, remember. of course, we remember. Yeah, I do. So you, it's interesting you bring up when you were talking to me again. This is so funny that you were, you literally remember this. But I do remember for some reason when you were saying this story, sharing the story. I do remember you saying something about NFBPA, which stands for the National Forum for Black Public Administrators, having a, yes. an, an annual conference where there would be a gathering of all the kind of public administrators. And public administrators yes. is, is really kind of a catch-all phrase for local politicians, right? So it's right. mayors. Mm -hmm, yeah, Black Caucus. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's that kind of gathering. And so sure. I thought, oh my God, yes, because at the time, I my my career trajectory was I was going to continue on to law school and ultimately be a senator. And so I'm like, this, this actually is going to be a great internship for me because I can network and schmooze and get to know all the, the power players um, in the African-American yeah. community. So that, that resonated with me. And, and so thinking back to peer at the time, you were peer Smith, not peer Pinnock at the yeah. time. Um, exactly. Were you thinking, Hey, I'm going to be, <laughs> which you are now, a leading voice in the Black homeschool movement? Or where? what kind of got you to where you are now? What was happening in your life up until that point that you, you know, spun off into this whole other career where you literally are known internationally as uh, a voice. <laughs> you are. You're an expert. And I'm gonna. I'm gonna pull up some uh -oh. of the quotes that you've you've um, been wow. quoted in newspapers and stuff. But what was happening to you, or what had happened to you, where you were like, maybe homeschooling is something I can advocate for? Well, first of all, uh, my major in undergrad was English lit with a minor in communications. And what I saw basically was what inspired me, which was Oprah Winfrey and Phil Donahue. And I sort of wanted to get involved in communications, specifically communicating more effectively to a broader audience. 
and being an effective tool in that movement. So I wanted to go into broadcast journalism. I wanted to, if and I could, if I could not go into broadcast journalism, I wanted to go into newspapers and I wanted to be a, a foreign correspondent. But either mm. way, that was my goal. I never saw myself going into education. I was uh-huh. never even thinking about that. I maybe had envisioned somewhere down the road being involved in education and communication in the area of communication, okay. but not in K through 12, not in K through 12. No. Interesting. So what about your own schooling background, maybe, that nudged you into the K-12 space? And specifically, right, and and you can tell me I'm wrong, Pierre, but I see homeschooling as maybe a counter to traditional K-12, or maybe it's not. Maybe I'm making it into something it's not. So when I think of choice, Mm-hmm. I think of, again, we've had a guest on that spoke to charters. Um, I shared a little bit about my story in a previous episode where I had to make a choice and I chose um, a private independent school. So choice looks like a whole slew of things, right? And right. so, and it's interesting that you bring up media, that you were going to go into media. And so yes. when you when you look at choice, you have a bunch of options, right? You've got charters, you've got homeschool, you've got independent school, you've got Catholic school, yada, 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 yada. And then when you then slice up, um, let's just slice up homeschool, homeschool looks like a ton of different things. But for the me from the media's perspective, since you brought up media and communications and kind of Oprah and all that stuff, it (laughs) seems like when the public thinks of media, uh, thinks of um, homeschooling, and this is the portrayal of homeschoolers, right? It's mm-hmm. typically kind of this Anglo or white Christian evangelical, like that's the image that comes to your mind when you think of homeschooling, sure. right? And sure. that's the media spin. But lately sure. here in the news, there's this, I've seen a couple of articles that have said, oh, the rise of African-American homeschooling. And all I keep thinking is, no, 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 no. I know someone who's been doing this for almost 40 years. And so I'm gonna actually, I'm gonna actually quote something. So it's an article okay. that Martin Wooster um, wrote a couple of years back. And, the, and this statistic stuck out to me um, that according to the National Home Education Research Institute, about 2.4 million American children are homeschooled. I knew that number. The shocking number to me was 200,000 of those are African-American students. That was the aha moment for me. And in your area, so you're in the DC metro, so that's DC, right? Yeah. Surrounding Virginia, yeah. surrounding Maryland. Yeah. It, the statistics I have are old, and you can correct me. So there are like 35,000 sure. homeschoolers just in Maryland alone, 24,000 in Virginia. How many of them, and like 500 of those or so are, are African American? members of a homeschool cooperative or some kind of homeschool co-op. So for those numbers to be so large, why hasn't the educational media picked up on this movement of African-American homeschooling? Why has it been largely ignored? And why do we kind of have a singular vision of what a homeschooler is and looks like? Okay. Wow. There's a lot there to address. And I want to make sure that I address all of it. Um, First and foremost, um, going way, way back to the K through 12 uh, comment that you had made and how I, my experiences in K through 12 before getting into K through 12, I had actually had the opportunity when I was a senior at a uh, boarding school in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, to have an, in- to do an internship in Stanford, Connecticut, teaching first graders, uh, 
I think it was French. And I really loved the response and I loved uh, the uh, being creative and how to present French to first graders and have them get it and also have them like it. Um, honestly, through college, I never did uh, take a lot of early child development classes and I did not take any education classes. Um, it was strictly communications and English lit, uh, but that was okay because I knew with that background, most likely I could easily head into that fourth career of education. We all have four careers in our life. And so to get into education, I just want to give you an idea of uh, sort of the trajectory of uh, children's lives through education, if that helps. And again, I'm trying to address all of your comments and questions. Um, it, you know, it, 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 the hair, you know, I founded Culture at Home in 2004, uh, which was an African American homeschool support group serving families in the Washington, D.C. region. Um, and at the time, there were support groups. Uh, a lot of them, you kind of needed a GPS to find them mm. because they were not, it wasn't really in newspapers or in parent magazines. It, it just was not there. You had to know somebody that could and give when you, you a mean- number. When you say support groups, what what exactly were these groups doing? Who were they supporting and why? A lot of them were umbrella groups and they were supporting uh, basically uh, families who wanted to follow a certain curriculum and to fall under the standards of the individual state that you resided in. So if you joined the Maryland um, umbrella homeschool group, they would help you follow the rules and regulations of the state. They would help you with testing whether it was Stanford oh. Achievement or Cal, and they would also help in you, the ch- you know, your student needing a recommendation to college, recommendation to scholarships. So oh. it was, a lot of these groups were helping you to follow certain standards. And then I started finding unschooling groups that were into unschooling groups that were more interested in um, sort of picking and choosing the type of curriculum you want and not necessarily falls under a K through 12 standard. Many groups were developed in mind for what you as the individual parent were looking for. So if you were, if, you know, I saw groups that pertain to um, children of Muslim descent and that was a group. Usually the groups that I were affiliated with met month to month. Not a lot of groups that were religious affiliated, but groups that more had more of varied common interests. You had groups uh, that were for home for, for homeschoolers who were not, who were more interested in the unschooling. And unschooling means there's no direct curriculum. Then you had those, you had classical learning. And classical learning um, was very popular. Again, a very strict, I think, uh, sort of curriculum that has to be followed. But otherwise, some groups were just so that students could socialize and see other students after, you know, a week at home learning and working on the computer or going to the library. We get to see teenagers our own age, younger people our own age. But, you know, I founded uh, Culture at Home. And the reason why, I guess, what influenced me was as a child in the mid-1970s, that was a time where Boston, growing up in Boston, I was born in Boston, in the Roxbury area of Boston. I noticed that in 1974, when busing took place Mm -hmm. and I was going to be taken from my neighborhood schools, uh, the Joseph J. Hurley School, I believe, and they were going to bus 
myself and my sister to a elementary school in Charlestown. Um, that I, I had the opportunity of watching on the news what was going on mm -hmm. with busing. And what I witnessed as a child were parents throwing eggs and bottles and rocks at school buses of children being bused into their neighborhood. This was court-ordered busing in Boston. Yeah. And I experienced this. I experienced a lot of fights I saw on the news. And I looked at this and I was concerned. Um, so th the violence prompted uh, my parents to pull me out of public education and enroll me in a series of private and parochial schools, which I attended um, two or three different schools before going off to um, school in Connecticut. Connecticut. Now, not until fourth grade, um, I was enrolled in an African-focused and centered school in Boston's Roxbury neighborhood called St. Joseph's at the time. And as a student, I only spent two years there. That was fourth and fifth grade. That's where I learned about Africa. That's where I learned about African-American history. And I felt valued and validated as a student in the fourth and fifth grade. Um, from then on, that sentiment carried me through two decades of mm. homeschooling and an advocate for the cause. So I really have to say those two years I had at that African-centered uh, private school in Roxbury, in the Roxbury neighborhood of Boston, really taught me value. And, and once a student learns to value who they are, their history, their legacy. Um, it, it doesn't matter what school it is. For me, it was an African-centered school. Right. Um, it helped really define basically um, how you can learn. You can't really learn, I don't think, about other cultures until you value your own and you value the history of your own. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, th I'm l sitting here listening to this amazing story, Pierre, and I keep thinking of the benefits of the young folks who got to obviously not only work with their parents who were individually kind of homeschooling you, but be a part mm -hmm. of a network, right? A network, a broader yeah. network. So mm -hmm. did you ever think that you could pick up culture at home and put it inside public school so that more students could benefit from this kind of Afrocentric learning about one's own culture? Or were you really just saying, this is just going to be for homeschoolers and everyone else be damned? Or wasn't even anything you were even thinking of? Because I'm trying, I, I, I do see, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, you know, maybe I'm projecting. I, I kind of see homeschooling as a political move, right? Like we're bucking the system. It's not working for us. And I say that because I, again, I'm going to pull your quotes because again, you are an expert in this field. You're quoted often. You quoted, oh, no. you, quoted, you quoted about 99% of African-Americans rotting in prison are people who are the product of public schools, right? And mm -hmm. you chose to homeschool your own children for this very reason mm -hmm. that you didn't want them to be, and this is a very strong word, but kind of subjugated to, subjected to some, some, some miseducation that can happen um, to students. And so if you're homeschooling your own kids and networking with a small group of children, why not take home the concepts of homeschooling and try to push against the status quo so that, so that you're changing the status quo? No, I yeah. understand. Yes, I, I, I love the question. Um, again, I want to make sure I address all your comments and questions. <laughs> 
Hmm, okay. Um, this was uh, what I offered to homeschooled students was an actual library program for the public. The time I offered it in the morning while public school was in session um, led people to believe this was only for the homeschool students, but I could not offer a program at a public library and not have it open to everyone. Mm -hmm. So I have had public school classes visit my homeschool program. Like it's just that the time constraints were um it just was not it would not work with schools that meet in session during the day. I didn't offer the classes after six o'clock in the evening or on weekends. But for those teachers that reached out to me said, gee, I saw what you're offering at the library. Unfortunately it's offered while I'm teaching my students in the morning, but I'm going to make this a field trip for my students. So uh, public schools have been um, aware of what I've been doing. My name was out there in the public schools uh, of what I was doing. Yeah. So get, I'm thinking of your, again, your quote about, you know, the, 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 men and women, unfortunately, who are sitting in prison are products of our public educational system. And so, you know, we are coming out of, sort of, um, a pandemic, right, where kids have been, sure. for the most part, remotely learning. And again, you know, in the press now, all of a sudden there's this, you know, awakening, oh, look, there are actually Black families who are homeschooling. Imagine that. And right. uh, that plus, um, one of my guests on this show was a educational researcher, and she was talking about this large number, 25 to 30% of students have gone missing during the pandemic. We don't know where they are. They're not checking in. They're not going to school. So where are they? So do you see coming this fall and in the future, near future, that maybe homeschooling in the Black community in particular will gain even more traction because of these very ideas, right? So last summer you had thousands of cities, oh, thousands of cities, thousands of people in various cities across the country saying enough is enough. We want change. We want a racial reckoning. We want to make sure that the, the voices of all Americans are heard. We want that diversity that you're talking about. We want to be sure. valued. All yeah. the things that you've been talking sure. about for 35 years, Pierre, people were in the streets demanding it, right? Um, yes. And so you've got parents who are either going to opt out of the K-12 system and just say, this is not for me because my kid is bumping up against either over-policing in school or the miseducation in school. So I'm either going to homeschool. Um, so do you see a, a, a greater proliferation now starting this fall with parents removing their kids, making the choice that the traditional school is not for me or no? I mean, are people knocking down your door now? <laughs> start yes. start yes. up culture at home again, yes. please. We need it. Or, right. yeah. or do you see public schools um, opening their eyes and trying to address the very things that caused you to take your kids out of school, right? Or, or both, right. or both could happen. Right. I, don't, I don't know. Wow. Well, first, um, wow. Okay. Again, addressing everything. Um, okay. <laughs> my students, my children actually were never put in school. I decided before I had children, before I even had them, before I knew I was, before I got married, I always knew I was going to homeschool them. I just didn't know how I was going to do that. I had that in my mm. mind. Um, homeschooling is just an alternative to regular education. It's just another way of learning. But one mm -hmm. thing we know, Carla, one thing we know is that homeschooling works. How, and, how do we know this? Okay. Statistics. <laughs> Let me start with uh, a woman who I look up to, an author, an, an attorney who I look up to. Her name is Paula Penn Nabret. She wrote a book 
called Morning by Morning, How We Homeschooled Our African-American Sons to the Ivy League. Okay, Random House published this particular book. I believe it was in 2002. I found the book, I read it, and I contacted Paul and I said, I need to talk to you, but I need to work with you. Hmm. And we need to get this book out there. Her three sons, Evan, Charles Jr. Um, I'm so sorry, I forgot the, the third but you I will remember it. You forgot something? The woman. No. <laughs> no, I'm trying to remember everything. Paula had three sons that she had homeschooled to the top schools in the nation. I believe Harvard, uh, Morehouse, um, Princeton. Her two oldest who were twins um, went to Princeton. The youngest one, Evan, I believe was his name. He went to Amherst uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, she did it. And in her book, she talks about her decision for her and her husband to homeschool their three sons. Now, she a uh, graduate of Wellesley. She is uh, an attorney. Her husband went to Dartmouth. They went to some very, very good schools. And uh, so they're very educated and they're knowledgeable and they are aware that their sons are not, are going in that same upwardly mobile trajectory. They, they're going in that same, in that same um, path. So sometimes in schools, Many, many times uh, when students are not truly being seen for their brilliance, maybe it can't be seen for whatever reason, the parents see something different. They see a certain promise that maybe schools don't see. And sometimes parents know their children. And sometimes I have to speak for parents and let people know parents do know their children. It's not that society knows them better, but parents mm -hmm. do know how their children can thrive. And what is that spark that will make their child thrive? And even though we as parents want that village to help raise our children, there are things we know that can help our children thrive even further. And so uh, homeschooling is a choice and, and, and homeschooling doesn't work for every child. Uh, some child thrive in a more socially um, infused environment and that's fine. Uh, but most children thrive one-on-one. -on -one. Most mm -hmm. children thrive with that, that special attention. Uh, keep in mind that, uh, you know, Carla, I've sent children to college dozens of children to college over the years. I've written those college recommendations letter faithfully every year from, and the schools that children within culture at home have gone to have been the Naval Academy, NYU, Wellesley College. We had one that went to Duke. Um, we had University of Maryland, Hampton University, Howard University. Yeah, so you, you keep saying the word choice, right? It, it's a choice. Yes. So do you, our, oh boy. So I'm going to ask this. You can say, I don't know the answer or there is no answer or go away, Carla. Um, so, so basically what you're saying is homeschooling is a choice. We're not trying to change the status quo, even though there's a clear recognition, because this is why you're homeschooling, that traditional K-12 does not work for all kids, but you're not mm -hmm. trying to change a system from the outside, right? You're not invested in that system. Right. So you're not even trying to change it. You're just saying, homeschooling is an option for us and that's just the way we're going to go. And we're not, and homeschooling isn't trying to hold up a mirror to traditional K-12 to say you need to change, right? So you're just saying it's just a choice and that's it. I'll be honest with you. I've never met a homeschooler that was interested in changing the status quo on anything. I've met a lot of homeschoolers mm. through HS, HSDLA who have been interested in protecting laws for homeschoolers 
the right to homeschool their child at home. I have, and those are the lobbyists within the homeschooling community that I've met. I have never met a homeschool parent, even though I'm not saying they aren't out there. Okay. From my experiences, I've only met homeschoolers who are interested in their own personal situation. Making, having the freedom to choose to homeschool their child at home without a lot of outside interruptions. Avoiding the bureaucracy in the school system. Got it. You have to understand, Carla, that the traditional school does work for some students. Uh And it works very well. And there are children who do thrive in public education, some private education, some a Montessori setting, some parochial. Mm -hmm. Homeschooling is a choice. This is about alternatives. I don't think homeschooling is about changing anything. It's about adding another type of structured um, option. You know, charter schools, there were, there were, uh, there were, had I've always been skepticism about charter schools. Mm-hmm. There's also been skepticism about uh, private schools and parochial schools. Um, and I feel that homeschooling yeah, falls it in feels line to with me like, yeah, it, totally. But it feels like the lightning rods are charters and then homeschoolers for some reason. Again, when people say <laughs> choice, right? Right. And, and we, you know, in our last administration, presidential last administration, the um, education of the secretary of education was a choice advocate, right? This person was all about school choice. And it really is a lightning rod. So when people are like, yes, I'm going to go charter, you know, there's a certain stigma to that. And then homeschool, I think it's it's just, there's another, another stigma, but I think it's around this image that's been painted in the media of what homeschoolers are like, right? And again, choice includes independent schools. I mean, you went to a boarding school as a child. I went to a parochial school as a child. I put one of my own kids in a, um, an independent school. So choice is a lot of things, but those two on the end, these two polar opposites are kind of charter and, and, um, homeschooling. And, and I think, and I could be wrong. I don't know. I think, um, there could be a swing, a greater swing post pandemic peer for people who are understanding that, there's um, some distrust, right, that you mentioned from the traditional school st- system. And based on that distrust, people are going to want more choice. And so I don't know sure. if that means we're going to have more charters or more people homeschooling or more people going to private schools or whatever. But it mm-hmm. should be interesting to see what happens, you know, starting this fall with, with uh, families making decisions about what's best for their, for their own kids. I think there's going to be a push. And I'm focusing on post post-COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I think there is going to be more of a push because, you know, you had mentioned, how do we know about these success stories? And how do we know people are even looking at these success stories? How do we know people are getting this kind of information? You know, it's interesting. uh, There have been a lot of articles written um, about homeschooling specifically in the Black community, um, how more parents are choosing, how more parents are asking. Everywhere I go, when people hear about me, and yes, I guess I have been quoted a lot, but when they hear my (laughs) name in DC, they know me and they've heard of me and they are like, well, uh, I have an 11 year old who needs this and that, and I need to talk to you and I need to get information. And everybody I meet wants information. And, and, And so I believe more and more people understand that charter homeschooling are choices. I believe that people are looking at how their child is performing in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, parents, uh, you know, I think there's this perception that parents kind of drop their kids off at school 
and don't care. Mm-hmm. But that's the opposite. Yes. Yes. Parents care so much. PTA is very important in schools. Parents care. And I am a parent. I cared. Um, uh, I still care. But um, I also care for other people's children as well. And I care about parents and their choices and helping parents with those choices to find if homeschooling is right and best for their child. But I do feel it is going to grow in the fall because people are finding out more about it through the media, through more Mm -hmm. news articles. And I want to say, you know, um, that there are a ton in the DC area where I am, there are a ton of homeschooling groups. I just want to name a few. There's the bowling area home educators in Maryland. There's Capitol Hill homeschoolers. There's classical conversations, what I mentioned earlier, which is very, very popular. My group, Cultured Home, is still exists. Believe it or not, I can still <laughs> multitask and work and, and try to provide some support through Cultured Home. But there's DC area preschool homeschools. There's Sankofa homeschool group, which is oh, well attended. Um, online on Facebook, they have, um, there's something called Surviving Homeschool. Okay, surviving homeschool, and it's got thousands of members. You have the DC Metro Gifted Homeschooling, um, and you have blog sites, uh, Chocolate Covered Boy Joy, Kid Friendly DC, Our Kids. If you look online, uh, there's NVA, uh, that's Northern Virginia and DC, Muslim Mm -hmm. homeschools. There's even Haitian homeschoolers group, a Haitian homeschooler group. So it's out there. But when people understand that they too have an option to homeschool their child, that's where the interests and the questions are and they want to get resources. Hopefully they'll go online and look for a group that will work for them. But the groups are all online. They're there. People just have to know that they have the option. I don't necessarily think that a lot of schools sort of give that information to parents that oh well, of course you know. not no that's yeah, like if you, you that's <laughs> like walking in that's like walking into target and someone in there also giving out flyers to walmart like shop mm-hmm. at walmart why i mean that would that would that's counter right. go to walmart right exactly <laughs> and i so, think so i'm gonna throw this last and this is kind of a napalm bomb i'm gonna throw at you so uh, yes yes it's a choice right? Um, that people can opt in and out of, but getting back to the public school, not advocating for it or saying anything about homeschooling because there are tax Mm -hmm. dollars. Um, Mm -hmm. would you want tax dollars to follow your children so that you would have more resources, fiscal resources to do the type of homeschooling that you would want so that your tax dollars aren't just based on you living in a certain city, and they're going to go to your neighborhood schools anyway, that you could say, hey, I've got two kids. I want whatever that money is worth for my two kids to follow my kids. So then I, if I'm homeschooling, I get that money for kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. Would you go that far? Are, are, no. homeschoolers, propo- are homeschoolers pushing towards that kind of choice? Because that's that's, ba- that's really choice when your dollars are also marching. That's a very good question. And I'm going to answer based on my experiences uh, being involved with homeschooling for 23 years and as an advocate and instructor and teacher. I'll be honest with you. I have never engaged in a conversation with a parent about that um, that uh, topic that you just mentioned and that concern you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think when you choose to be a homeschooler, um, you you understand uh, your 
given individual situation. You understand, uh, whether it be financial or how be it, you understand um, the resources that are available and what you have. And mm -hmm. again, you're making this choice to pull your child out of free education to homeschool them. Right. Um, one of the things that I've learned, and I hope I'm answering this to your expectations, is that homeschoolers are very creative. These families that I've engaged in for over two decades are very creative. And what we do is we... I've never met anybody that wanted to change anything or advocate. I've never signed any documents or uh, anything stating that, you know, I want this change on Capitol Hill. I've never done mm -hmm. anything like that. But what I found is I learned the magical word called co-op in my years of dealing with homeschoolers. And what these amazing moms and these parents and these families do is they establish co-ops. And what a co-op is, is they establish classes within these groups because the co-ops do many, many things. But these parents actually teach classes to other parents' kids. So the parents get together, they find out who has a PhD, who has a master's, who can teach math, who can teach Spanish, who can teach uh, Chinese, Mandarin, who can teach Arabic, who can teach uh, literature. And I've witnessed this, Carla, I swear, that these co-ops will meet every week and a different parent will teach a group of students, different age levels. And they've become so creative that they really don't Maybe they're not interested, but they don't seek outside funding or dollars. Maybe there's a little fee in each co-op. Uh, the co-ops that I've observed and visited didn't seem to have fees, hmm. but it seems like there's more of a creative approach to homeschooling because parents are very well aware when they make the decision to homeschool their child, where exactly they want their energies to go. They want their energies to go into educating their child, trying to find ways of saving for college, trying to find ways to get that their child that specific scholarship, whether it's a science scholarship or a swimming or baseball scholarship for college. They're trying to find summer enrichment programs for their kids, summer employment for their kids. It seems to me from my experience, a lot of the energies have been sort of directed into making my child the best that they can be there to bring out the personal best in my child as a student, as an athlete, yeah, as a I'm game just, changer. No, I get it. But I, I remember last summer at the beginnings of the pandemic and it was the you know, return back to school and, you know, schools were not in, in person using air mm -hmm. quotes. Um, and so a lot of wealthy families, so I'm out in California. So a lot of, um, famous folks were creating something like the co-ops that you're talking about. They were right. hiring, hiring teachers to teach a pod. They were calling pods, um, all year. So it wasn't, moms and dads who were having to do it, they were hiring some external person to come in and teach their pod. And so could something like that marry with the homeschoolers so that you guys are advocating for and getting back your taxpayer dollars to follow your right. child? So it's not going right. to the current system that you get those dollars back. So you can hire whomever to teach physics sure. to your third grader. I mean, right. any of that right. happening? Again, I think the pandemic yeah, has just yeah. really kind of stirred things up a bit where people are just kind of reevaluating everything. Sure, and I think, sure. that, I think the concept of choice, and again, maybe I'm wrong, will become less and less of a mm -hmm. lightning rod and more of a, well, we had 
a whole year of not being in school, why not just hire my own personal tutor and my own personal soccer coach and my own personal right. you know, AP person and my own, right? So, sure. but sure. in order to do that, I need mm-hmm. folks on Capitol Hill to change funding laws so that the dollars can follow me. And maybe I'm making something bigger than it really is. And people are really no, not trying to do that. No. Okay. Let me let me tell you what's going on in their heads. First of all, thank you for bringing that up. Yes, there are <laughs> groups that I am familiar with that <laughs> hire outside people and yeah. charge a very nominal, albeit minor fee for your child to be enrolled into their co-op. Yeah. And they do hire outside people, some which are the parents. Parents literally, I think, are so engaged in what their children need to do that they, they're not really looking at lobbying for right, right. Uh, more benefits. Um, but looking at the fact that a lot of these co-ops do ask for nominal fees, a lot of them are engaged in hiring other instructors that they can't find them within the parent core. They do hire outside instructors to teach the kids for classes that meet on a weekly basis. That is very, very true. Yeah. In fact, each group is individual and they find their own creative ways to present a curriculum and teach their children. But I'm being honest with you, what I have not found is parents who actually have the energy to engage in fighting for more resources because the energy you need to teach your own child, even if it's one child, one child teaching eight children, it's it's a lot. But the point I'm making is that um, I find that homeschoolers are way, way, way too engaged in their child's education. And I don't think they feel they have the time, especially those uh, homeschooling more than four children. And I'm just being on you. This is just from my experience. So in closing... Pierre, what do you see the future of homeschooling, particularly in the Black community, um, you know, post-COVID? What are you seeing? If you could hold up your magic eight ball, what's the future of homeschooling? I definitely <laughs> see. I definitely see more co-op groups. More co-op groups. I see more options and alternatives in the homeschool. Um, arena. I do see people coming and changing. I do see libraries getting involved when it comes to homeschooling. Yeah. Speaking of libraries, you're sitting at, you know, the behemoth of all kind of museum (laughs) institutions, the Smithsonian. So do you see institutions like the one you work at now, the Smithsonian and, and, you know, the hundreds of other museums and libraries across this country um, stepping up and providing or, ha- or having deeper connections with not only traditional K-12 schools, but also homeschoolers just to ensure that the educational needs of kids are a little more diverse, right? Do you see your museum stepping outside of its four walls and more into a virtual space or pushing into schools? Is that going to change too in the future, do you think? Well, I can honestly say that museums and libraries are very aware that education is very important. They're very aware that homeschooling is growing. And they have in the past uh, included homeschooling um, families in tours and and programs and teachers' night. Um, Homeschoolers have definitely been included on the list of, of an option as far as um, their programming. They're very aware, yes, that homeschooling is uh, viable and growing, and they're more accommodating because of that. Yeah. Well, my gosh, Pierre, this is, um, I didn't know where our conversation would lead today. (laughs) I I had in my mind, though, I really, I, I don't know why I thought 
and maybe I'm brushing a, a broad swath here when I'm categorizing homeschoolers. I thought before we had this conversation that homeschoolers globally, generally were more politically active. And what I'm getting from this conversation is, in fact, um, there may be a tiny segment of folks who are lobbying, but that's not what right. really homeschoolers are about. They're really about, right. you know, what is best for my individual child or children. And so advocating exactly. for that, just it, yes. the advocation part is around, you know, making sure that the the bigger bureaucrats stay out of their way, right? Not so right. much we're trying to dismantle K-12. We're really just making sure no. that you don't disrupt what we're trying to do in our homes right. or with our cooperatives. Right. So that, right. that is a right. little eye-opening for me. I totally did sure. not have that perspective before our conversation today. So Pierre Pinnock, dear friend, thank yes. you so much You're for welcome. joining me today on this episode of Schooled. Oh, and thanks for listening. And thank you for sharing all things homeschooling. I think, at least for me, hopefully right. the audience uh, feels right. this, but it was I really I a, a... I feel I didn't share enough. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was a learning opportunity. I think I really had a a very um, skewed view on homeschoolers. Um, and again, it's now no fault of homeschoolers. I think the way that you all are painted in the media gives us a very kind of singular vision um, of homeschoolers. And I think um, as of late, really, most homeschoolers, we don't envision them of being of any person of color. So it's a right. great opportunity to hear your perspective as a um, a black female homeschooler, right. educated homeschooler. So it's it's wonderful. Right. So yeah, thank you, Pierre. So with that, I also like to thank John Largent, who's the founder and CEO of Game Day Media Enterprises, for making this podcast possible. So join me again next week with a new guest and a new Ed Disruptor. Thank you for listening. Schooled with Carla Hulse is available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.